Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. My dear friends in Christ, I don't know if you're picking this up out of the readings and the prayers today, but this text is not really about practical ideas for your life. It is about the mercy of God. I don't know if you saw that. That's what we prayed for in the Collect of the Day. And if you pay attention to the services, you know the Collect of the Day really informs a lot of what's actually going on in the readings. It's a theme. There's kind of a theme that goes throughout all the services. But you can always find it there in the Collect. And so if we look at this idea of mercy, we go, that it makes no sense. Jesus doesn't even talk about mercy. What's Pastor talking about? Is he in the wrong reading? Is he in the wrong week? No, no I'm not. This is all about the mercy of God. Now, there is a sense in which there are practical ideas that you can take and apply to your life, and that's perfectly fine. But we do that because we imitate God. We do that because we imitate the way that Jesus lived among us. We humble ourselves because he humbled himself. And the reality is that humility that Jesus showed. Not a, oh, I'm so, you know, not really, don't pay attention to me. I'm humble. I'm small. You know, nothing like that. When we talk about the humility of Jesus... We're talking about him being a servant. That's what we mean when we say that Jesus is humbled. That he comes as a servant. For us to be able to look to him, this is the mercy of God. The humility of Jesus is the mercy of God. It is because Jesus Christ who is the Son of God, begotten from all eternity, deigns to take on human flesh to serve His creation. That is the mercy of God. He looks at the cross and He goes to it joyfully, bearing upon His shoulders your sins. That's the mercy of God. And there he dies in a torturous, mocking death. And that's the mercy of God. And he rises from the dead within three days, not for his sake, but for yours, to give you that promise of everlasting life. That's the mercy of God. So when we're talking about mercy, we need to think about how it is that Jesus has saved us. What it is that He's not giving us, which is His wrath and judgment, and what it is that He is giving us, which is His love and His peace. Now you can kind of tell that this is going to be about His mercy because of what Jesus does first in this reading. He encounters a man with dropsy. 
Dropsy is that tuberculosis that we know of today. And well, it's not a whole lot of fun to be around. It's pretty contagious. People who would get it, they probably need to be elsewhere, right? Jesus sees this person with dropsy. And he looks at the Pharisees who are watching him intently, Luke says. And he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, this is a question you kind of, we get used to hearing, right? But think about this for a moment. Is it wrong for who to heal on the Sabbath? After all, doctors don't just heal. They do their work, and that's probably included in part of this. But, is it wrong for who to heal on the Sabbath? That's probably what they're asking themselves when he says these words to them. Who are you talking about? Who in the world could you be talking about? A doctor? Me? Least on their minds would have been God. God is not subject to his laws. Not the way that we think about ourselves being subject to them. And God certainly is not subject to the laws that man creates for him, which is what the Pharisees often would do. We've talked about this before. Remember, the law says, honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So the Pharisees say, to do that, you can't walk more than a mile from your house. To do that, you can't do any work on the Sabbath day. To do that, you've got to make sure that you have your water and food collected and laid out the day before. They made more laws than God did. And so Jesus looks at them and says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And their response is, they remain quiet. Because they know something's up. They don't know the answer to the question, but they know they're about to get trapped if they open their mouths. And so Jesus asks them again, same question, different way. Which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And to this they know the answer. They're afraid to answer the first question. They're afraid to answer the second question. They couldn't reply to either one of those things. But they know that Jesus is right. If their son falls in a well, well, then their laws be damned. They're getting that kid out. Their ox falls into a well, then their laws be damned. They're getting that ox out. That ox is their lifeblood. You leave an ox in a well, it's going to die. It's going to suffocate. You get the ox out. So Jesus heals this person with dropsy. They're looking at him going, you've broken the law. But Jesus points out, this is my child. 
There is no way that I can't help. Now you go, what does that have to do with what he says next? Because now he's sitting down to eat. What's up with that? And he's pointing out to them, obviously, very clear words that we had from the Proverbs this morning. Don't sit in the high place. Now, I, I know many of you honor Karen because she has sat in the highest place in the church this morning. But Karen, you're supposed to be sitting in the back. I'm just kidding. We often think of this, right, as, as in Lutherans in reality, we often think of the back as the highest place in the church. So I'm glad that everybody is scooting a little bit more forward. I think that's a good thing. Jesus looks at them and says, the reality is when you go to a feast, if you sit in the highest place, don't do it. Don't sit there. Sit in the low place so that when the host comes in and sees you humbling yourself, he's able to lift you up into the best place. At the very least, if he only moves you up one spot, you're still higher than you were. What does that have to do with healing this man with dropsy? Remember this. If you honor yourself, you'll be humbled. And if you humble yourself, you'll be honored. This is not a quid pro quo with God. This is not a put yourself down because I know God's going to lift me up kind of thing. This is a we treat our neighbors with mercy. Humbling yourself in terms of how you live and how you work in this world has nothing to do with God. Humbling yourself as you come into this place, confessing your sin, saying that you're a sinner, receiving His forgiveness, that's God's stuff. But putting yourself and putting it down and putting others in front of you has everything to do with them. Now don't get me wrong, these are good vocational things and God looks at these and honors them as good works. But you're doing it for the sake of your neighbor. You're showing your neighbor a mercy that you refuse for yourself. When you put someone else before you, when you put them in the highest spot, you are giving them a better opportunity to receive the mercy that you yourselves can give to them. Now what does that have to do with God? Again, think of Jesus who humbles himself. This is where the God stuff really pops in. Where Jesus puts himself in the lowest place so that he himself is exalted. Not that he exalts himself, but do you notice in the scriptures who exalts Jesus? His Father. His Father glorifies him. Jesus puts himself in the lowest place. He is an invited guest, but he sits himself at the very end, furthest away from the host, last to be served. For Christ has not come to be served, but to serve. This is the mercy of God. 
that he has put himself in the lowest place that you may be raised up. He took the place that was meant for you so that you can have a higher seat. He has put himself in the lowest place so that you never would have to fear the wrath of God coming against you, but instead that you are welcomed into your rest. That is the mercy of God. All right, we get that maybe, but what about this guy who hosts the feast? Jesus looks at him and it's kind of like Jesus is criticizing the host. After all, not just the host, but also the guests. Because you can kind of imagine Jesus pointing around as he's looking at the host and saying, now when you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends like those people there. Don't invite your brothers like those guys there, your relatives over there, your rich neighbors right there. Don't invite them. And you go, my goodness. Is he talking about me? (laughs) Instead, invite the poor. The crippled, the lame, the blind. Because if you invite these guys sitting at the table around us right now, they're going to want to repay you. They're going to feel indebted to repay you. But when you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, they may want to repay you, but they are not going to be able to do so. Now, how is this about mercy? Because that seems like it's law. It's mercy when you realize that you are the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Jesus does not keep the rich and the mighty in the feast, but he invited you You're the ones who are called off of the streets and brought into the feast when all of the guests of the king refuse to come to the wedding feast. You are the ones that he clothes with his own robes of righteousness that you can be here and enjoy what he has to give you. And you are the ones who will leave this place knowing that there is nothing you can bring to your king except your thanks. You cannot repay God for what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. Nor does he expect you to do so. This is something I struggle with with people all of the time. I don't struggle with the thought myself, although sometimes like maybe I do. But I struggle more with the idea that people come to me and they think, well, don't I have to prove to God that I'm worthy? Don't I have to show God that I'm able to do things for him, for all the stuff that I want to be able to get from him, don't I have to prove that I'm somehow worth it? The answer is no. You don't have to prove that. Not because God's okay with you not proving it, but because you're not worth it. In the eyes of the world and even in the eyes of yourself, you should realize you are worth absolutely nothing. You're a sinner. You have forsaken God. You have forsaken your neighbor. There should be no hope for you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot free yourself from your condition. 
I put it this way to a student this week. If you came to the church and you shot out all of the windows on the side of the building, you'd be a criminal. If you came back and you paid to fix all of them, if you could even put all of the original glass back the exact same way that it was, making it look exactly the way that it is right now, you still would be that criminal. Just because you try to make it right doesn't erase the fact that you've done the thing. So it is for us. We're sinners. And as much as we know that we are forgiven by God, it doesn't erase the fact that we're sinners. That we've grieved Him. Knowing that we're sinners... Our work to prove to God that we're better, that we want to do better. Repenting before Him. Helping our friends and our neighbors. This does not do a single thing for us. We cannot erase our debt. But the mercy of God is this. God can erase your debt. Not just by wiping it out. Because the sin that you've committed is still grievous to God. The sin that you've committed still needs to be punished. So God doesn't just erase it off of the board as if it never happened. Your sin instead is borne by His Son. Your sin is given to Jesus. Your sin is taken away from you, put on Him who is crucified under the wrath of God. And in so doing, the righteousness of Jesus is given to you. You no longer have this sin staining you. It's been taken away, but the righteousness of God is cleansing. This is the mercy of God. Because here you realize you are the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You have been made rich, been made to move, been made to walk, been made to see. You've been given the gift of God's mercy to have your infirmity of sin taken away from you. And you look at Jesus the glorious, almighty, wonderful, majestic God. And you see Him cowering in the corner as the one who is poor and crippled and lame and blind, not knowing what's coming for Him next. You have been elevated and He has been lowered. You have been moved up, and he has been humbled. You have been honored, and he has been dishonored. And this is not a bad thing. That is the mercy of God. So when you know that you're not worth it, you see that God thinks that you are. God declares 
that you are. He says, I love you. Right to you. And he does this in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember the passage from John 3? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That doesn't mean that God so loves you. It means that he loves the world in this way, that he gave his one and only begotten son to die for you. That as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so too would the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the mercy of God. The mercy of God shown to sick sinners to make them right, to make them holy, to make them whole once again. All of this is about the mercy of God to you. For you, my friend, you have indeed had your sins taken away from you. You indeed have had the righteousness of Christ put upon you. And you indeed have been exalted into a spot in the feast which is to come. You have been brought into this place. Maybe you can move up front. Maybe you can sit in the back. It's all the same. Because this day you have been elevated into the kingdom of God. And for this we give thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.